Well, do me a favor and uh, come on back and um, grab your Bible. And we're going to be traveling through the Bible here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 also some. And it's interesting when you teach the Bible in the way that we're convinced to teach the Bible or convicted to teach the Bible, I often get people who say, why don't you tell us where to put the money, the offering? How come you don't announce that and you don't, or maybe some who used to it say, why don't you pass the plate? Well, just for your information, the plate permanently resides right behind John Kennedy or Gabe right there, has a little dove on it, and it's a box, and it's, we call it the agape box, the love box. And that's where uh, the folks here uh, put their offerings. And um, so oftentimes I get the question for new people who are visiting or uh, maybe even uh, somebody who's not so new, why don't you talk more about giving? And I always say, in sort of my cheeky little way, well, when we get to the part of the Bible that speaks about it, we'll talk about it. (laughs) And guess what, folks? Today's the day. (laughs) But what's interesting about giving, and I want you to know this at, at the outset here, if you're new here or whatever, this isn't really about giving. It is about giving, But it's not really about giving. It's what a person is like who surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, counting on all that he's accomplished, his death, his life. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we are told when that happens, we become not a better creation, not an improved version of ourselves. We become new creations. And many of the things that we've been discussing over the last several weeks have been what marks, what characteristics are those who are found in Christ. We get a picture through Paul's dealing with a church in Corinth. Where's Corinth? In southern Greece. We get a picture of what Christians do, are, who they are, what they look like, what life looks like as a Christian. Through this letter, second of probably more than two, there's a couple letters that we probably don't have, but anyway, to this church in Corinth. He even tells us things like this. I'm just pulling a few. He even tells us that our life here on earth as born-again, spirit-filled Christians matter. They matter so much that you're going to stand at a judgment seat. Oh, not a judgment seat whether or not you're accepted into heaven or not. That's a different judgment seat than the one for the believer. But the believer stands at a judgment seat. 
and going to give an account for all the things that they did. Was it for eternity, including the motives in doing such things? Which means that our lives on earth matter, count. You know what I can't stand? Going to a kid's baseball game or a basketball game or a football game and they don't keep score. Come on, man. What's the point? To hurt somebody's feelings? People have to learn, right? Sometimes you don't win. Or so you, for maybe a better thing, especially maybe for me, is to learn well. Or excuse me, to win well. <laughs> but here's the point about the judgment seat of Christ. Your life counts in Christ. Well, that's one thing he said, and that, that is a purifying doctrine. It, it, it impacts the way we live this life. And then he goes on and he actually tells us right here in the meat of the letter what our ministry is. I know 100% what your ministry is right now if you're a Christian. I know it because Paul tells us. He says, you're to be a minister of reconciliation. In other words, you're to help people reconcile back to God. But the only way that you do it is you just point people to Jesus. That's pretty easy. I mean, it's not easy, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's just like a one-string guitar. You just play the same note. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for keeping it simple. But that's who we are. He also tells us that we're ambassadors for Christ. And ambassadors are there wherever they're appointed on behalf of the one that sent them. They're not there on their own behalf. They're there on the behalf of the one who sent them. And they speak the words and think the things, the policies of those who sent them. And so that's what we are. We bring heaven to people. We bring the Lord to people. We are ambassadors. That's a beautiful thing. Paul tells us in chapter 6 that we are co-laborers with Christ. Wow. That puts a new spin on what you, how, and how you serve, right? Are you here uh, on Sunday mornings and you're complaining because nobody else showed up? Well, then you aren't serving the Lord. You're serving because you want recognition. Here, Paul says, don't worry about it. If you show up and there's just one, you're, you're serving with Christ. You're serving for Christ. He tells us this. And he says nothing can impact us in our ministry. Pay, uh, tribulations, distresses, stripes, imprisonment, riots, labors, no sleep, no food. Why? By the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts as born-again believers so that no matter what happens, circumstances up here, the Lord loves us. Circumstances down here, the Lord loves us. It never changes, and we continue on our mission to share the love of God with a hurting and dark world, a lonely world, a scared world, because they're unsettled, because they have no aim or direction. And yet, here it is, right here in the heart of Corinthians, 
we know our purpose to serve the Lord, to enjoy him, and to be loved by him. Then he says something that's really interesting to me. It's going to impact our uh, learning today about giving, which is really, did I say this, not a message on giving. It's a message on who you are in Christ. That's what this is. Giving is just the thing, the outward symptom of who you are in Christ. We'll talk about that. But he says this in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, He says that we are hindered from the love that Paul has showered, or excuse me, he says to the Corinthians that they're hindered for the love that Paul has showered upon them by opening his, his and his ministry's team heart that is wide open. They're hindered because of their own affections. In other words, they have affections for things higher than the things of the Lord. You catching that? And Paul says to really respond to the gospel, you and I and we must be vulnerable because the gospel is a gospel that is a gospel of love. It's the Lord opening up the treasure chest of heaven, all that he has for you. That's grace. But in order to enjoy it, there must be a response. You just receive the gift and open up your heart back to him. But the problem is, In love, we often don't want to open up our hearts because we're scared of getting hurt. Paul says there are many of you, or or not only scared of getting hurt, maybe we have something higher in our affections than we have for the Lord. He says as part of this, as marks of new believers, not unbelievers, new believers or believers in general, we are to separate ourselves from the thinking of the world and the things of the world. And why do you think that is? Because he wants us to be in the safest and greatest place, and that's under the shadow of his wings. That's close tucked up underneath him because he knows that's where your purpose in life is fully fulfilled. The things that you're unsettled about and desiring are really him, a relationship with him. Okay. We're to separate ourselves. And last week, and we talked about it, another mark of a Christian, a born-again believer, is that of a repentant person. Repentance, changing our minds about who we are and taking a about face and marching towards God in both salvation and also sanctification. Salvation coming into the family of God, sanctification becoming more Christ-like. We are to be repentant people. Remember that? Okay. Now here we go. You ready? We're now going to get to something that's very near and dear to Paul's heart. Do you know this about Paul, the man who's writing this book? Or letter. He was probably a very wealthy guy. <laughs> he studied under the greatest teachers. He grew up in the greatest schools of Judaism. He became a powerful ruling person, and he has an encounter as he's walking to Damascus. I'm pointing on the map of my mind, north of Jerusalem. 
He's on the road to Damascus, and he has an encounter with the Lord. The Lord says, hey, man, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Remember this? And he comes blind, and from that point, he gives his life over to the Lord. And what does he do? He, he gives everything up. Power, prestige, image, everything. His whole goal in life is to know Jesus He says, even, uh, even if it's the fellowship of his sufferings, I'm all for it because I get to know Jesus more and more. And because he knows Jesus, he knows that he needs to tell. Jesus asked, actually instructs us to do so, but he, he knows he needs to tell the world. And so he travels the world and he is responsible, the Lord is, but through him, he, he's responsible for setting up the churches in the ancient world and really while we're sitting here today. Now, all of that is to say that the church in Jerusalem, you understand Greece is not in Jerusalem, right? I mean, I'm a maps guy. It's across the pond there, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, The church of Corinth is not in Jerusalem. And the church in Corinth is made up of some Jews, but a lot of Gentiles, non-Jews. But now in Christ, they're all the same. Paul, back in his first letter, the last chapter, chapter 16, has said, remember this? We need to take up a collection, a collection for the church in Jerusalem. He felt like the church in Jerusalem was responsible for his sending out and building him up and being a a church that would send out many. And so, they really had an impact, and they were going through very difficult and tough times because of a famine and because of other things. I mean, just imagine, if you're in the heart of Jerusalem, and you're involved in Judaism, as they all were, and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and come out from Judaism, just think if you had a bakery shop. Nobody would come. Many in your family would disown you. And yet, they were joyful people. And so Paul had it on his heart that the Gentile, weren't completely Gentile, but you get what I'm saying, the other churches around the Mediterranean Sea that he had established, he traveled around and asked them to take an offering to take it back to the Jerusalem church and to help them out. Everybody tracking? Okay, under that um, burden on Paul's heart, Let's read another mark of a born-again believer, a new covenant living believer, the covenant of grace. Here it is, the word of the Lord. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. I want you to, in your mind, either mark, mark grace, gift, or giving in this chapter. Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now, I love the New King James Version, folks. That's just my preference. 
But I would probably use a different version right here because you're not getting what they're saying, I don't think. They willingly implored us, Paul said, the Macedonian church, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. We'll talk about that in a minute. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. You see the grace words, gift, gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus, that's his understudy, like Timothy was also, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace or charity in you as well. But as you abound in everything, remember, writing to the Corinthian church, as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace? Giving. Now look, keep going here with me in verse 8. Is that verse 8? I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to a year ago, But now you must also complete the doing of it, that is, there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now, we'll continue on. I'll read that in a minute, but let's go back for a minute. We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, we're going to talk much about the grace of God here today, and I want you to know and keep reminding yourself what the grace of God is. I don't want you to just say it because it's the Christian thing to say. Grace is not an excuse for sin. Write that down. We use it in the American church as an excuse for sinning. Hey, give me some grace here, man. I'm an Irishman. I have an anger problem. I'm a German. I have an anger. Give me some grace here. I, you ever heard people say that? It's an excuse for sin, and that's not what grace is. What grace is, well, it's multifaceted, but let's take this first. Everybody says this um, at, uh, wait a minute, Acts. Uh, what is it? I'm going blank. Uh, God's riches, grace. God's riches as Christ's expense. There we go, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, not Acts. That's your prayer journal. <laughs> what are those things called? Acronyms. I got my acronyms mixed up. Grace, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah, that's true, but let's examine that a little bit more. God does everything for our salvation, making the way possible for us to come back to him. You get it? 
He provides all the things that need to have happen so that we can be reconciled back to him. All we do is receive the gift. It's a free gift from God. Otherwise, Ephesians 2 tells us, we would boast. And oh man, oh man, I'd be the chief boaster. Because I do a lot of stuff. I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you. I probably go to more Bible studies than you. I probably attend more prayer. And if it was based on my stuff that I do, I'd be right in the top of the line saying, well, look, man, I went to 14 more Bible studies than you did. But it's not based on that, praise the Lord, or it'd be really awful to be around me. It's bad enough as it is. But anyway, right? It's a gift of God, and what's the gift? The gift is Jesus Christ himself. If you really want to know what grace is, all you have to do is know that it's Jesus. That's just it. It's the giving of Jesus. What's the most famous verse of the Bible, would you say? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he... Grace. It's all in Jesus. Everything we need is in Jesus for life and godliness, for eternal life, for sanctification life, and everything. It's all in Jesus. And so, what is the grace of God? It's God's giving. Did you know this? God's the greatest giver of all time. It's his nature that he's giving. I always say this verse. It impacts me greatly. I hope it impacts you. In Romans 5, read this verse my whole life until about five or six years ago. It just hit me between the, you know, right in the forehead, stunning me. I'd missed it all these years. It's in verse 8, chapter 5. What is the grace of God? But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the grace of God. But here, I want you to just check something out. Here's what I would do. I would meditate, meditate on this. Oh, God demonstrates. What, how did he demonstrate? What is it that he's demonstrating? That's beautiful. And then I'd say, oh, his own love. Yes, his own love. That's beautiful. Okay, so God demonstrates love. And it can't be really love or good news unless we understand the bad news. And the bad news is we're still sinners. And God demonstrates his love while we were sinners. Man, that is amazing. So great. And then, of course, Christ died for us. But then one day, I'm just reading this, and I go, whoa, wait a second. I missed it all these years. Towards. Who likes to be around their, the people who've wronged them? Yeah, I didn't see any of you put your hands up. The one who was offended, God. The one who we've sinned against, missed the mark, didn't do what he asked, didn't measure up. The one way we've sinned against, God himself moves towards us while we're still sinners. In other words, there's enmity between us and God. That thing between us, there's this alienation because of sin between us and God. While we were yet sinners, he moved towards us. See, that's grace. It's the grace of God. 
And I want you to see something or read something, or I want you to read something to you that Alan Redpath writes in a more general sense about grace, but I think it'll bless your socks off. What does the word grace mean, Alan Redpath says? Yes, you've heard it defined as unmerited favor. Well, that is a good definition, but it's only a limited definition. Now, the word has taken on many different meanings through the years, and when the word was used in the early stages of history, it meant a desire, listen to this, a desire to bring good, or excuse me, a desire to bring to other people goodness, grace. A desire to bring to other people goodness, health, strength, beauty, and loveliness. Later, it became a little more pregnant in its meaning and began to mean the actual activity which expresses the desire to bring others goodness instead of evil, health instead of sickness, beauty instead of ugliness, glory instead of punishment. This, of course, is outstanding So we, uh, as we think about the manger and the cross, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who thought he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. Watch this. Alan Redpath goes on to say this about grace. Here then, listen, what a way to say it. I wish I could write like this. Here then is the activity of heaven. Desiring to bring to all that which is good, that which is wonderful, that which is glorious, in place of all that is unpleasant and unsavory and unhappy. Desiring to bring all that which is good, that which is wonderful, that which is glorious, in place of unpleasantness, unsavoriness, and unhappiness. What a wonderful word is this word, grace. Alan Redpath. Now remember, folks, I started off by saying we're going to talk about giving. But once you understand that giving is who God is, and giving is a mark of us as sons and daughters of him, the mechanics of giving, you know, getting out your wallet, getting the checkbook, that, that's nothing. I mean, it's something, because God says do it. But there's something deeper that's at stake here. And it's who we are in Christ. Are we becoming givers like our Father in heaven is a giver? That's this. That's this chapter. So watch. Oh, we haven't even got through the first verse. Brothers, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. You see what the grace of God does? It takes a church, it takes a people that's in a great deal of affliction or a great trial of affliction. In other words, it doesn't matter what their circumstances are. This church, Macedonia, by the way, Macedonia is northern Greece. Corinth is in Achaia, or I don't know how to say it, A-C-H-A-I. Good, thank you. And Corinth is the province or the capital of the southern part of Greece. So you're talking about northern Greece churches, southern Greece churches. I think you might know some of the northern Greek churches. They're named Thessalonica. They're named Philippi. 
They're named Berea. Get it? So these people in the north make known to you the grace of God. In, in other words, what Paul's saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is as you look at the activity of the Macedonian churches, you see God's grace spreading like wildfire. You, you see evidence of it. Why? Because they were in a great trial of affliction. Don't know exactly all that was going on, but it must have been great because the words in the Greek here means fiery trials. Devastating. As they're in the great trial of affliction, they have an abundance of joy. I mean, just that sentence. <laughs> Think about every, go right up and down the row. Think about the trial that you've been in. And the lump in the stomach, and the anxiety, and the stress, and the worry. Paul says these churches, something about them because of the grace of God. What's grace at its heart? It's Jesus and knowing Jesus. By the way, the Bible tells us how, do, how is grace imparted to us? Do you, don't you want to know this? I want you to know this. How is grace imparted to you? It's as you get to know Jesus more and more. He imparts his grace to us. That's in the scriptures. Are you following? So as these churches are getting to know the Lord in a more intimate way and studying his word and praising him and those things, they're joyful. Remember I said Philippi was one of the churches? What's Philippi or the, the, the Philippian epistle? What's it known for? It's the epistle of joy. For it's immor uh, uh, memorialized for the ages. The churches that are going for these afflictions... They are grace-filled churches, and even though circumstances are not up to par, they're joyful, and they're in deep poverty. And he doesn't say it here, but he'd been through those areas, and he'd asked for the gifts for the Jerusalem church, and guess what? They said to Paul... Will you please take money from us? That's what it says there. And that's why I said the New King James, I enjoyed a different version for right here. Because Paul says, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. They weren't even just freely willing. They were imploring us. They were begging us. That's what the scriptures say. The Macedonian churches who were in great affliction with much joy at the same time, who didn't have a lot of resources, were begging Paul and his ministry team to take money that they were willing to give so that they could take it down to Jerusalem. You catch that? You see, the grace of God is everywhere right here. It's just throughout the pages. You see what grace does to a church. It just gives this incredible concern for others and a willingness to share with others, even if the circumstances of your life aren't perfect. That's what grace does in a body of believers. Are we people who like to share, see needs and meet needs? Well, I tell you, I love serving with the, the men we serve with here and uh, the ladies who we serve with here and the, in our elders meetings and board of directors. I just want you to know, you, you could go down there and look 
across the missions wall. And you could see. And the Lord is blessed here so much financially. You know, we were able to pay off the church and the roof, but that isn't even the great part. We are able on a regular basis to just significantly give to the gospel um, uh, efforts in a little, um, for a little tribe, or maybe even a big tribe, on a little island in Indonesia that don't have the Bible. And your money is going to translate their language so that they'll know the Bible. And we're able to give lots of money there. And I'm doing this because I'm bragging in the Lord. You understand that. I'm bragging in you, what the Lord's doing in you. And there, there's two million Syrian refugees in the area of Lebanon. And you can't minister the gospel in Syria because it's closed off to the gospel. But lo and behold, the Lord creates a crisis and brings the Syrians out of Syria. And now there's a missionary organization that you folks help support significantly that ministers the gospel to the Syrian refugees. And it's an ingenious program. Who would think of it so that when they go back to their own country that's got the gospel closed off, the ministry, or excuse me, the gospel gets unleashed there. You give so much money to save babies here in Pittsburgh. And it's such a beautiful thing. You graceful people have given money so that they can go and babies can be saved. You give on a regular basis the wor- to the Word of God. There's some ministries that support, that get the Word of God out to people in America. And you give that, and you say, well, I don't know, is that such a great use of the money? Yes, because there are so many Christians here in the United States who are asleep at the wheel, folks. And the only thing that wake them up by the power of the Spirit is as they peek into the Bible. In fact, we were going through Ezekiel this morning. And what was happening in the nation of Israel is happening to us in America. We just become numb to the things of the Lord. And the Lord uses the gospel to wake us up. If we'll just get in our Bibles and see and learn from the history of Israel and have the Lord show us what to do and what not to do. And so we give there. And there's so many other things. The, uh, the Netherlands for gospel tracts to go out throughout Europe to a, to a place, listen to this, to a place that they say the gospel is dead. Europe. May it not be so before the Lord comes back. So that's the grace of God. And it's in a great trial of affliction, whether you have abundance or trial. This, uh, the mark of a Christian is they still give. And I want you to see some principles for giving. What's the principles for giving? There's never any compulsion in graceful giving. That's why the box is back there. Is there anything wrong with passing the plate? Nothing whatsoever. We're convicted. Just put the box back there because we just want it between you and the Lord. Not me or anybody else pressuring you. That's not how it was here in grace giving. It was just that they were willing to do it. In fact, they said, take more. (laughs) 
People say, well, should I give 10% or what? Well, 10% was in the Old Testament. It's probably just sort of a good measuring line, but there's no, don't, don't get into the legalism or the crud about, I mean, gross and net and blah, blah, blah. No, have a willing, generous, giving heart. And here's the thing, under grace giving, Grace is a higher standard because we're in love with the Lord, and that's grace. He sent his son. I think 10% is just the starting point. (laughs) Do you know that they've done several studies in the church world? Several studies. Uh, There was one in 1981. There's been a more recent one. And the studies all show that the richer you become, the less you give. In fact, this illustration or principle, not illustration, this principle is set right forth for us. I think it's in Luke. I think it's in 24, but I could be wrong. It might be 17. I'm having a tough time here today. But I'll give you the parable. It's the widow with the two mites. And what's fascinating about that is Jesus sat there near in Jerusalem where the offerings were given. And he watched people. It actually says, not that he watched them give, it actually says he watched how they give. And you know, there were rich people coming by and putting their money in, but he said this one lady gave the most. But the problem is, for us, logically, she didn't give the most. She only gave two mites, a few cents. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody. And why did she? Because she gave it sacrificially. So any giving we must do must be a sacrifice under grace giving. Not must be a sacrifice, but should be a sacrifice. You get what I'm saying? It it should have some impact on you. So so you see, giving a thousand bucks there every month or a hundred bucks, let's say a hundred bucks, giving a hundred bucks there every month. It's different for some people. A hundred bucks for some people is the difference between, you know, this and that, rent or not, electric bill or not. By the way, nobody's saying go in debt here. But for other people, a hundred bucks a week, it's not hurting. (laughs) It's not sacrificial. But see, here's the thing, if you're getting into the mechanics of it, and I can see us sort of getting down into the mechanics, take yourself back out of that for a minute and just remember that it's all about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is rooted in grace. People who are a new creation don't say, do I give 9.8% or 10.2%? They say, oh man, how much can I give to the activities of the Lord? I get to do it. It's so much. Yes, praise the Lord, we're going to do it. And it's willing, and it's not under pressure. Do you catch that? In other places, I think it speaks of being, it should be a prayerful matter. You should probably think about it before the week starts. Don't just as the, you know, you get it, oh, okay, five, 50, 100, whatever. Think it out. Think it through. Be willing. I would say, and maybe I'd get in trouble for this, if you're got your fingers clutched, you know, around the $5 bill, and you just can't bring yourself to put her in there, I'd say don't put it in there. The Lord's going to get his work done regardless of our money. 
See, the giving is for us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the resources, and yet he calls us to participate in his work through giving. In fact, in some places, it's called a spiritual gift. But he implores us, it says here in the letter, verse 4, with much urgency that we would receive the gift, or they implored us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. There's something that when we're all pulling together and we're giving and we're giving out to the ministries and Netherlands and uh, uh, saving babies and, 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 and all of that, something that happens to us too. There's this great bond and fellowship, praising the Lord for that. You get it? And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and attend to us by the will of God. I want you to see that. Grace giving could never happen. Graceful giving could never happen until you've first given yourselves to the Lord. If you don't know if you're a Christian and you're in here and you're saying, you don't know you have eternal life, you don't know if you have a relationship with God through Jesus, if you don't know that, none of this is ever going to make sense. It won't make sense. It can't make sense. Well, of course, the Holy Spirit can make it make sense, but you get what I'm saying. This makes sense when you're rooted and grounded in the love of God by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because... There's a fellowship that comes from it, and that fellowship is because Christ lives in us. Well, we go on and it says, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus, that's Paul's understudy, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So Titus, who was charged with sort of picking up the pieces with what was going on in Corinth because Paul had had to rebuke them in his first letter, and now he'd sort of sent them to do some things and to smooth some things over. He really entrusted a young guy to do that. That's interesting. Uh, he urged Titus that he had begun uh, that this grace is something that he should check in on. Is the church, in other words, Paul was saying to Titus and now to the Corinthian church, I'm asking Titus to just see the fruit of the grace of God. Are you a giving people? Isn't that wonderful? Oh, but as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Are, are you catching that? See, what happens to us, I'll bet you did this. I'll bet you did this in your devotions this week. You sat down with Day by Day by Grace, or you sat down with Oswald Chambers, or you sat down with somebody, you sat down, you know, whatever, Spurgeon's morning and evening, and you just sort of did your devotion, or you did the two-year Bible plan, and you said, Lord, help me in my speech. You know, I have a tendency to put my foot in my mouth, or maybe I curse a little bit, and I need to get that out of my life. Anybody ever pray like that? Lord, I don't understand this stuff in the Bible right here. I don't understand Ezekiel. Or I don't, Lord, help me with that knowledge. Or I don't have the wisdom what to do with my boss. Help me. Are you tracking with me? Those are the things we concentrate. Lord, deepen my faith. Help me to be a harder worker or more diligent, Lord. Lord, I need to be more loving. Anybody ever prayed these prayers? But I wonder if you're getting the message here. Paul is saying here, here, here are the things you concentrate on, and well so, 
and you're, you're doing good in them because Titus has told me, even though we've had problems in the past, you're moving and growing in faith in the things of the Lord. You're trusting more. You're moving and growing in speech. You know how to articulate the things of the Lord, the gospel. You know how to uh, uh, speak well of people and exhort one another. Uh, you know, you know, you know the difference between <laughs> Never mind, I won't get into that. But you know these doctrines and that doctrines, and you have all this knowledge, and you're diligent to study the things of the Lord, and your love is, is just so evident. But did you ever pray, Lord, help me be a giver? <laughs> I don't see that in many prayer journals. Lord, help me to determine how I can give more and more. And that's what Paul's saying here is, all these graces, these things that the Lord is growing in your life, don't forget to also remember, <laughs> don't forget and remember that giving is a grace. Why is giving a grace? Because God is a giver, you see, and you're becoming more like him. And then he goes and he says, I speak not by commandment. I don't command you to do this. I'm not putting pressure on you. But I'm testing the sincerity of your love. In other words, we'll know your fruits by what happens, by what you do, and by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, if you unlock that verse for yourself, and you hang in there now, it's not that late. <laughs> I'm kidding. But... If you unlock this verse for yourself, or as the Lord helps you unlock this verse by the Holy Spirit, you're going to start understanding giving. <laughs> and that's this, that Jesus was the richest of the rich. He's God himself. He resides in heaven and resided in heaven. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he came out of the heavens with all the heavenly privileges all the riches of grace. He came out of heaven, and Psalm 22 says he became a worm, lower than the low. He gave up his rights and privileges, never stopped being God, but set them aside to become a man and live as a man and to show you and I how we're to live in dependence upon his father or our father, a worm. And he gave up all of that, but just then think about his life. We sang about it today. He's in his mom's womb, and they sort of had to clear out of town so they can't be born in their own house, in their local hospital with the great maternity ward. No, they get to a place, and they're, got to, they're looking around, and they're like, oh, my goodness, we better get to the inn we don't even have a place for you to be birthed. He had to borrow that. Jesus, as he grew and ministered, he didn't, he said, hey, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He didn't have a home, folks. I mean, he was welcomed by friends, of course, and relied upon the Lord, but he borrowed that. Think about it. He came from the heavens. He came to a little insignificant place, Bethlehem, and an insignificant, so to speak, 
little country. He didn't have any place to be born. He didn't have any place to live. He just, watch, watch. And he gets to the night in which he was betrayed, and he looks around, and he goes, my goodness, I don't even really have a place to have a supper with my friends, but I'll have some friends who have a room, so let's rent the room. Of course, they didn't rent the room, but you know what I'm saying. Let's go to their room. And then he gets to the cross, and where are his friends? And I'm not bashing his friends, because I probably would have been one of them. But they're scattered everywhere. And he dies. And it's like, uh-oh. He don't have a tomb. And he had to borrow even the tomb. Joseph's tomb. Here was this one, the richest of the rich, gave up all the privileges of heaven, came down to earth as a man. Didn't have, you know, a gated community in the Las Vegas area, played golf. He had no place to lay his head. He had friends, of course, but they scattered. He had no place to have a last supper, and he didn't have a tomb. He gave up everything, and here's the kicker for you. There's a purpose. He had something higher and greater. It's higher and greater. You know, your Lamborghini doesn't really matter too much. Whether or not you get the great rims on the car or you get the $300 Nikes, it doesn't really matter. Whether you devote your life to your house and your kingdom doesn't really matter. See, here Jesus came out of the heavens, become so poor like a worm, lower than the low, in human eyes, so that you could have a, the ability to come back to God, so that you could be rich, and I could be rich, and we could be rich. Rich in what way? Well, we have eternal life with him forever. We won't care about whether our house was, you know, 1,000 square foot or 6,000. We won't care. It won't even matter. It won't even be a blip on the screen. He became poor for your sake so that you could become rich. And he says, I don't mean that others should be eased in your burden, but in equality. He's saying, hey, so beautiful. You, you saw a need, Macedonia. Hey, Corinth, Macedonia saw a need. They saw the Jerusalem need. Jerusalem is in trouble now financially, but they blessed us so much spiritually. So, hey, let's equal it up. And let's, I know it's going to hurt a little bit, but let's bless them with some financial resources so they can get along and keep spreading the gospel because they've blessed us. Let's equal that up. And he writes something that's very interesting. As it is written, he who gathered much, verse 15, had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And he's referring to manna. Everybody know what manna is? The little stuff that came down when the Israelites were in the wilderness. And the Lord said this, you need to know this. You can pick for your whole household, pick up enough manna for your whole household, but no more. 
because it's going to come back the next day, and I want you to pick it up every day. But on the sixth day, I want you to rest on the seventh day, so I'll give you enough for six and seven. But listen, if you pick up too much and you hoard too much for yourself, you're going to find that it's going to have worms and it's going to rot and smell. It's going to just be terrible. In other words, he was saying, "Quit! don't be a hoarder. Keep coming to me and trusting me. Are you catching it? See, graceful people recognize that. The material things don't really matter. <laughs> oh, it's nice to have this and it's nice to have that. But listen, if the Lord took them away, I'd still have joy. I'd still have you, Lord. So the rest of this chapter, I want you to see something and we'll close out. He gives us another principle for giving in the church. And that's been instituted here. And that's this. Thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother. Who is that brother? Nobody knows. Whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who is also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself. Your giving is to the Lord. That's a principle. And to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. In other words, you're ab to be above reproach in financial matters. Did you catch that? The church should be above reproach in financial matters, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but how much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren inquired about, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. You're like, okay, come on, man. What is this all about? I don't know if you noticed that, but there were three people involved in administering that gift to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Not one person. Did Paul trust Titus? Yes, with his life. But Paul said... When we get the money from Macedonia, and it's here in Corinth, and now we're going to transfer it down to Jerusalem and do the good with it, there are going to be three people involved. Do you think that's an accident? No. He trusts every last one of those three people, but he said, I want you to do it together so there won't be any impropriety. But even more than that, because I trust all of you, there won't even be the appearance of impropriety. So when people count the money, you don't count it by yourself. You count it with other people. You have other eyes looking in there, and we have that. Praise the Lord. And they are diligent about receipts, and that's a funny joke. But it's not a joke because they are diligent about it. <laughs> okay, closing out with this. But this I say, verse 6, chapter 9 he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Did you see that? You need to purpose in your heart what to give. Plan it out. Don't let the pastor or the TV pastor or the lights coming down low or the music influence what you're going to give. 
You go home and pray about it with the Lord. Don't go into debt to give to the Lord. Pray about what you should be giving systematically and give it. That's what the Bible says, not me. If you're doing it grudgingly and not in a hilarious manner, because no one gave as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver, that word right there, cheerful, is hilarious. He wants you to be hilarious about your giving. You ever thought about that? I ain't too hilarious when the IRS comes around. But hilarious back there or wherever you go to church. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You see that? By the way, if you're ministering, did you notice that the Lord said you're going to minister by the grace of God. If you're doing the toilets or the chairs or the greeting or the donuts or whatever you're doing or the painting or the cutting the grass, I'm convinced, because the Bible says it right here, that you need to have an impartation of grace to function in those service areas. And the way you do that is you get to know the Lord more and more. And you do it through the word. So he says, it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saint, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Did you catch it? There's a practical application. We're going to give to the uh, human coalition who helps save babies, but we're going to give to the people in the Netherlands. Uh, great. We're going to give the people to Indonesia. We're going to give the people to the Blue Letter Bible. We're going to give it. But, but listen, you're really, I already said it, but you got to know it. You're really only, you're giving to God. <laughs> this is something that's between you and the Lord, in other words. No pressure from the pastor. No pressure from anyone. It's just you and the Lord. Glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them all and men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's the point. (laughs) You've been given the greatest gift. He's indescribable. We do describe it or have it described in the scriptures, but he's been giving to you. Listen, you've become a new creation. Now you become a giver. And one way you're going to see that is in the money that you give. I know it sounds crass in some ways, but it really isn't. Anybody here have a problem with being greedy? Oh, come on. How about lying? It's like the Lord is so gracious. Every week he just says, here's your opportunity. You can get rid of that baggage. Just boom, boom, hilarious. As you think of me, as you think of what I've done, as you become a new creation, it's as if the greediness just sort of chips away. 
You don't think anymore, 9.9% gross tax. You're thinking, how can I give more? Because I want to see the gospel, the thing that saves, the gospel of Jesus Christ go out into all the world before he comes to judge and rule the nations. And that's grace giving. I'm in trouble with the worship team. Come do one. See, today's sermon wasn't really about giving money. I mean, it was. But really, today's sermon is about being a new creation in Christ and being a giver, just like your Father in heaven is a giver. People who have been transformed by the grace of God are giving people. If you've never given your life to Jesus, well, today's the day. If you know that you're a sinner, you're wondering if you could go to heaven or not, all you have to do is just surrender your life to the finished work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection. And at that moment, the Bible tells us that it'll come into your life. And you'll be able to say with all the saints in all the church, that you have hope. And here's why you have hope. Because Christ is in you. And he's our hope of glory. So we're going to sing this and close out in this. And then after that, if that's you and you want to surrender your life to Christ, I'd invite you to come up after the service. And we'll pray together. Okay? God bless you.